Thank you, Jared and Lana, for reading. And let me add my literally warm welcome to you, especially if this is your first time here. My name is Dan, if we haven't met, and I'm one of the student ministers here. And it's a great joy to be able to reflect uh, more on that glorious uh, final bit of Romans, which many of us had the privilege of studying a few months back in our small group Bible studies. But allow me to pray as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for your living word. We pray that it would not return to you empty, and we pray that uh, you would uh, do uh, your work in us and build us up and strengthen our confidence in the hope that is stored up for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few months ago, you'll remember the tragic story of the Titan submersible operated by OceanGate, the American tourist and expeditions company, which takes people down 12,000 feet to see the wreckage of the Titanic, if you're willing to pay about 400,000 Australian dollars. And when the sub lost contact with the mothership, a desperate search began over the next few days, which gripped the entire world. And was there any hope for these five passengers trapped in that little pod? And there was talk of a, a glimmer of hope when the US Navy picked up that sonar detection, which they thought could have been the passengers banging on the inside of the hub, trying to attract attention. But sadly, after a few days, we knew that all hope was lost. Uh, for the families of the passengers, I can't imagine the agony of waiting, uh, uh, waiting, hoping for any good news, uh, the pain of not knowing the outcome, uh, the frustration over the lack of certainty. A hope was just a feeling, a deep desire that things would just turn out okay. And that's how most people think about hope today in our society. Um, hope is merely used as a verb. I hope everything will be fine. A Muslim friend once said to me, I hope I've done enough good for God to accept me on the final day. And I wonder, is that how we think about hope as Christians? Uh, is our hope merely a flimsy feeling, a crossing of the fingers well, tonight we're going to see from Romans 8 that our hope is not merely a verb, uh, but actually it's a noun as well. It is the thing that we hope for, uh, the thing that we anticipate in the future. Uh, in our previous passage, Romans 8, 24, Paul says, In this hope we were saved, this hope that one day the whole creation will be set free from corruption and that we will be glorified with Jesus. And we'll see tonight that this hope is 100% bulletproof. Uh, no amount of sin or suffering, uh, no amount of persecution or pain can sink this hope. And so Paul's aim for us tonight is to see that we can be utterly confident that nothing can shatter the Christian's hope. And therefore we can boast in this hope and be unashamed of it. And that's our big point tonight. Nothing can shatter the Christian's hope. Uh, you can see Paul's confidence in verse 31. Have a look down if you've got your Bibles open. Chapter 8, verse 31, where Paul sums up everything we've seen so far in the book of Romans. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things, Paul asks? Uh, these things refers uh, to everything in chapters 1 to 8. Uh, what can we say in response to all that the gospel has achieved? And I love Paul's answer, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, if God has secured all these things for us, for us, if God has won the victory for us, then who on earth can take that away from us? Uh, forget about the Facebook likes and the commendations from our bosses. The God of the universe is for you. Uh, we are no longer his enemies, but he is now for us. He's on our side. Uh, because through Jesus, we have been irreversibly adopted into God's family. And so this is the trophy-lifting moment, if you like, uh, when a team has won the World Cup and everyone jumps in the air. Uh, this is the climax of the first half of the letter, where Paul boasts in all that the gospel has achieved for the world, for everyone who believes. Because nothing can shatter the Christian's hope. Because of this gospel that Paul preaches, nothing and nobody can take away the Christian's hope. If God is for us, who can be against us? But how can we be sure, we might think, how can we be sure that nothing can threaten the Christian's hope? Well, look at verse 32. Verse 32, here is the grounds, the anchor of our hope. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God has done the comparatively harder thing, of sacrificing his own son, then surely he will also give us all things that come with being a child of God. Um, to use a trivial illustration, it's like you've paid for the ticket to Luna Park, uh, so of course you have access to all the rides. Um, obviously not the extra games you have to pay for, uh, but for all the rides, you, you've already paid for it, and so of course you have all the access. Or you've paid for the, the buffet meal, and so, of course, you have access to all the dishes in the restaurant. And so God has paid the biggest price already in giving us his own son. And so, of course, he will give us all the benefits that come with being in Christ. But what does Paul mean by all things? Has Paul suddenly become a prosperity gospel preacher? Is God promising to literally give us all things, anything we ask for? Well, no, because we already know what the all things are referring to. Um, if you look a few verses earlier, verse 28, Paul says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what are the all things that God will give us? Well, it's anything that God will work for our good, or anything that will make us more like Jesus, and anything we need to get us home to be with Jesus uh, in glory. So God doesn't give us anything we want, but he gives us everything we need to get home, to make it to the end. And so God will get us past the finish line because he's already given us 
his son. Because of that secure ground, because God did not spare his own son, we can be sure that nothing can shatter the Christian's hope. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so now Paul goes on to expand on that triumphant boast in verse 31. Who can be against us? As he almost taunts any opponents of the gospel, challenging anyone to stand up to find a weakness in the gospel. And so now he, bo- he goes on to boast that for the Christian, there is no final condemnation and there is no final separation from God. So firstly, there's no final condemnation for the Christian. Verses 33 to 34. Have a look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul has already said in chapter 8 verse 1 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we no longer stand guilty before God because Christ has taken the penalty of sin for us. He has taken the wrath of God in our place on the cross. You may have heard of Martin Luther, the great German theologian of uh, the 16th century, who was instrumental in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, If you've not heard of him, you may have seen him in some nail-related memes, wearing his black cap and robes. Uh, But before Martin Luther came to know Christ personally, uh, he was crippled by his guilt. Uh, He was so scared of God's judgment that he would spend hours confessing his sin to a priest. Uh, He said sometimes he hated God because he saw him as this angry father, uh, always looking down on him, always judging him. And he was so anxious about his sin, he actually developed kidney stones. Uh, But one day when he was reading the book of Romans, he finally understood that glorious truth that there is now no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for all those who simply believe in the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us. The weight of his guilt was finally lifted off his shoulders when he understood that wonderful truth of verse 33, who shall bring any charge against us? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Nobody. Nobody can bring any charge against God's people in the court of heaven. Not our sin, not our guilt, not even Satan himself can bring any charge against us. Why? Because Christ Jesus has died. He's the one who's been condemned in our place so that we are spared the guilty verdict. And we know the punishment has definitely been taken because he's been raised to life, verse 34, and he's now at God's right hand, still interceding for us, pleading our case. And so if the Lord Jesus is our defense lawyer, who can stand against us? He is the one who lives to intercede for his people. And he is living proof that our sin and guilt has been taken. And so on that last day, we can be utterly sure what the verdict will be. There won't be any weighing of scales or have I done more good than bad? 
No, if we've trusted in Christ, there can be no condemnation anymore because Christ has taken that guilty verdict upon himself and paid the price for us. I wonder if you know that tonight. I wonder um, whether you know that assurance and perhaps you've been stuck in a cycle of sin and you think, surely I've blown it with God. Or perhaps you're haunted by the guilt of your sins in a past life before you came to know Christ and you feel that finger pointing at you as if Satan was pointing his finger at you accusing you before God how could you let that wretched woman into heaven how could you let that man have you seen all his evil have you seen his thoughts have you seen what he did last Wednesday and what would God say to Satan in reply well, he'd say, yes, every one of those charges is true. But look at those scars on my son. Look at those scars. I gave up my son for her. The penalty has been fully paid. So how dare you accuse him? How dare you accuse her? You cannot condemn them now. And so if you're trusting in Christ, that is the confidence we can have. Even if tonight was our last night on earth, we can say with absolute boldness, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so for God's people, there can be no final condemnation for us. And if there's no final condemnation, then it means that there must also be no final separation from God. Have a look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So if there is no final condemnation... For the believer, then it follows that there must also be no final separation from God. Because this is the reverse of the Old Testament pattern. Both Adam and Israel broke God's command and were condemned. And so Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. And Israel later on were exiled, kicked out of the promised land, separated from God's presence. Sin led to condemnation which led to separation. And in verse 36, we see the cry of God's people in exile. Uh, that quote from Psalm 44, which we heard earlier. And the psalm finishes with that desperate cry to God, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? And wonderfully, in Christ, that plea is answered. Um, in Christ, that Old Testament pattern of sin and condemnation and separation has been reversed. Because there is now no condemnation for God's people, and therefore, no separation from God. Have a look at verse 35 again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are be being killed all the day long. 
We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so in Christ, nothing, not even the most horrific suffering, can separate us from the love of Christ, now and forever. In fact, verse 37 goes even further. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In trouble and hardship, in terminal disease, in the face of job loss, in bereavement, in family difficulties, in the mocking of our friends for following Christ. In all these things, we are what? Losers, failures, victims? By no means, as Paul himself would say. Far from that, we are more than conquerors. We're not only conquerors over our suffering, because they cannot separate us from God's love, but we are more than conquerors because actually our sufferings also serve us. And so in the hands of God, we can say that our trials are merely servants rather than enemies. We are more than conquerors over our our suffering. But are you sure, Paul? Because I feel the opposite. Now, frankly, I feel like sin and suffering are conquerors over me. Well, the man who is most qualified to speak about suffering is 100% sure. Have a look at verse 38. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, is there anything that falls outside of those categories? I can't think of anything that does. There is absolutely nothing in creation, in history, that can stand in between God's love and us. And perhaps the suffering you're going through at the moment feels overwhelming. Perhaps you feel the pain of loneliness or being misunderstood by those around you, that nobody really cares or understands, and you question whether God really loves and cares for you. Or perhaps when the pressure of living for Jesus just feels too much, and we think, you know what, screw this, the Christian hope just isn't worth holding out for. Or perhaps you've been a Christian for years and you just feel weary of running the race, you feel disillusioned and tired, worn out. Well, the glorious hope that we have is that God will not let us go. He will hold us fast. And so we can be convinced, like Paul, that neither death nor life, nor things now, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the Lord Jesus, there can be no final separation from God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In a world full of bad news, is there any better news than what we've heard? In a world world weighed down by guilt and battered by suffering, is there any other gospel that can guarantee such hope? Only this gospel of Christ crucified can secure for us that bulletproof 
hope. A hope that is not shattered by any guilt or suffering. A hope that assures us that there will be no final condemnation or final separation from God. A hope grounded in Christ's death. And therefore nothing can shatter that hope. When the storms of life hit us, only the Christian can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And if you're here and you don't know Christ, then turn to him. Put your trust in him. And that hope can be yours too. When the actual Titanic sunk in 1912, there was a man on board called John Harper, who was a Scottish church minister. He was traveling on the Titanic with his young daughter and niece to go and preach in America. And when the ship hit the iceberg, John's daughter and niece were immediately put into the, uh, one of the lifeboats. Uh, but John himself ran back onto the decks, shouting women, children, and the unsaved into the boats first. Because for John Harper, he knew that believers were ready to die, but the unsaved were not. Um, John Harper didn't panic, because like Paul, he was utterly convinced that his hope was secure, that even death could not separate him from the love of Christ. And so even in his dying moments, as he was floating in the freezing waters, he was still swimming around, pleading with people to believe in the Lord Jesus, to be saved. Um, John's Harper's, uh, John Harper's hope freed him from self-protection. Um, his hope freed him uh, from self-protection and instead drove him to unashamed, self-sacrificial proclamation of his hope. Because only this gospel liberates us from the fear of death. Only this gospel strengthens and bulletproofs us from the fear of final condemnation and final separation from God. Because if we're utterly convinced that nothing can shatter our hope, then of course we'll be unashamed to go and preach it. And so the Romans 1.16 life, the life of being unashamed of the gospel, is only possible if we, are, if we have a hope that is bigger than life. A hope that is bigger than life and death. A hope that is bigger than any suffering or persecution. A hope that cannot be shattered by sin or suffering or death. A hope that isn't wishful thinking. But a rock-solid certainty of future glory where there will be no condemnation and no separation from God. And so we can say with Paul, with complete confidence, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who is raised who is indeed is sitting at the father's side interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that nothing can shatter our hope. Thank you that in the Lord Jesus, we can be utterly sure that there is no final condemnation and no final separation from you. Please assure us of this hope and that we would be confident and that we would delight and boast in this hope, even in the face of our sin and suffering. And we pray that this glorious gospel hope would liberate us from fear to be unashamed in proclaiming your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.